also in this age of uh, hyper-mutant digital capitalism, <laughs> great way to start, right? Um, <laughs> everybody, I don't know if you know this, I've noticed this, especially on social media, everybody has a personal brand, right? And we know what it means for somebody to be on-brand or off-brand. Like, on-brand behavior is something like being consistent, being themselves. Off-brand behavior is like, you're not really being yourself right now. But this is like a corporate term. This is a term that brand recognition is something that companies spend millions of dollars on so that we'll recognize them in the public space. So you, they pay money so that we can, they have a better reputation, so they have more notoriety, which leads to more capital. And branding is this ability to recognize something as belonging to some other person or group or company. So it's like behavior that's consistent or imagery that's consistent with a specific set of characteristics. That's what we call being on brand. And there are lots of different markers by which we recognize something as being on brand. So when you spot like a fake Louis Vuitton purse, Fui Vuitton, I think it's called, right? Like, you know that it's fake, right? Because it's off-brand. And we even say this about, like, people and their, the characteristics why they look like, siblings that look like one another or like their parents, They're, they have, like, a strong brand, right? Uh, we're, we're, in that sense, we're talking about, like, genes or DNA that makes it easy to recognize somebody as belonging to a specific family. So brand is derived from this ancient Norse word meaning to burn. Um, it's like burning a piece of wood, you brand it. And it means like bearing the mark or insignia of something. And this is kind of consistent with what Paul is talking about in our, our passage today. In the story of Israel, God's people in the Old Testament and uh, kind of through a through line into today even, God gave Israel the Torah. So the first five books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, and even more specifically, the book of Leviticus, as a sort of like brand guide for what it meant to be God's people. So the markers of this covenant, of this, this brand guide that God gave to his people included certain physical things that they were asked to do to mark themselves as being different or distinct from all of the other nations around them one of them being circumcision, the other one being keeping kosher, not eating certain foods. Some of it was not mixing the fibers of their clothing, observing holidays on certain days. But in God's new covenant family, those who have placed their faith in Jesus and his death, his saving work on the cross and his resurrection, there are new markers. There are new markers of what it means to be God's people. Paul is telling us that one of, if not the most important indicator of belonging to God's family is being led by the Spirit of God. And there are specific markers that let us know if somebody is being led by the Spirit of God or not. So because it is spiritual and not as much markers that we are applying to ourselves from the outside externally, like what foods we eat or don't eat or what clothes we wear or don't wear, how is it that we are supposed to recognize somebody as being on-brand or off-brand 
according to God's new covenant family. This is what Paul is getting at in this verse today, and it leads us into a discussion about the process of spiritual formation, what it means to be led by the Spirit. If that's a new word for you, we're going to get a lot more into it. The process of being led by the Spirit is also the process of the Spirit of God forming us into a certain type of person. So Romans 8, verse 14, once again, it's going to be on the screen. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. So, two simple questions today that are going to inform the rest of our time together. Very simply, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? And how is it connected to being children of God? All right? Being led by the Spirit gets at this process that's been termed spiritual formation. What Paul is talking about here is not so much being physically or audibly guided by the Spirit. It's not that kind of leading. It's not about discovering God's will for your life and being told, go here, turn left, go there, you're going to do this, you're going to have this you know, career, you're going to go here for college. Although sometimes that's part of it, but what Paul is talking about here is the process of spiritual formation. It's more about our character, who we are, and our will, how we make decisions being enacted upon by the Spirit of God so that we, and our, as our persons and our character, become reordered around God's priorities. So last week, we had a guest, Pastor Char Broderson, who is a dear friend of our church. He gave uh, a talk on what was kind of like the negative side of spiritual formation, um, right? What's often called the mortification of sin, a nice Puritan word, which means putting all of the things that don't belong to our new selves in the spirit to death, what's often called the flesh, right? It's the inclinations that we have that belong to the way that the world works that used to be part of our lives before we were followers of Jesus. Those things have to die in a way. Today, we're looking at more of the positive side of spiritual formation. What does God do in us? And how do we participate with him in order to become more like Jesus? So that's the first thing I want you to notice about this verse. It says, those who are led by the Spirit of God, which is, the verb is in a passive uh, voice. So this verb, led, being in a passive voice, means that God is the one leading us. We are being carried along in some way by the Spirit of God. As one commentator says, it's like having the basic orientation of your life or the direction of your life being determined by the Spirit of God, not just in a moment, not just in a specific year or a specific situation, but over the long haul, over the long arc of our lives, being determined by God's Spirit. And it's kind of like a catchphrase or a summary way of saying everything that he's been saying up until this point. Verses four through nine, those who put to death the things of the flesh are being led by the Spirit. The Spirit is life. All of that stuff can be summarized by saying, being led by the Spirit. Because everyone is led by something. 
Everybody, whether you think you are or not, whether you think you are the arbiter of your own destiny, or you think you're making the choices in your life that have led you from point A to point B, we are being led, we are being guided by someone or something. A closely related statement that Paul makes in the book of Galatians, he says, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So, which is a really kind of crazy thing to say if you were an Israelite, living in the first century, that would have been a completely crazy change of the game because being under the law is what it meant to be God's people before Jesus came. Israel had God's law, God's brand guide to lead them in understanding what it meant to be God's people. But this law with God's regulations and his standards of righteousness would eventually enslave Israel because it's the standards were too high for them to reach. For those who didn't have God's law to lead them, they were enslaved to something else. Paul calls this elsewhere the elementary principles of this world. So if you aren't being led by the Spirit of God and you don't have God's law to inform you how you're supposed to be living, What are you being led by? Paul says there's just a contour of the way that the world works. There are these elementary principles of the world that you are being led and shaped by whether or not you know it. Back to last week with Chara, that was called the flesh. It's the way that the world operates apart from God's design. And there is no neutrality when it comes to our allegiance and who and what we are following. The state of humanity is that we are being led by something or enslaved to something that in turn also dictates our identity. It's either God's spirit or it's something else or even some other spirit. One of our um, series resources on our current series page, if you go to our website, is an incredible book that just had its 20th anniversary edition that came out Uh, by an author named Dallas Willard, and it's called Renovation of the Heart. If you haven't picked it up already and alongside this series, highly recommend. You should probably read it like once a year. Um, It's fantastic. And spoiler alert, I'm quoting from him like at least three times today. So sorry, uh, not sorry, because he is one of the most important voices on this topic of spiritual formation that has ever spoken about it. Um, So This is what Dallas Willard has to say about this topic of spiritual formation. He says, spiritual formation without regard to any specifically religious context or tradition is the process by which the human spirit or will is given a definite form or character. It is a process that happens to everyone. The most despicable as well as the most admirable of persons have had a spiritual formation. Terrorists, as well as saints, are the outcome of spiritual formation. Their spirits or hearts have been formed, period. So if you're here this morning, you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus, or even if you do, the question that is before us is, what or who is forming you? What are you being led by? Because what Paul says here is that being led by the Spirit means being a part of God's family, bearing his brand. So what is the brand guide? What are the new markers? What are the ways that you can tell that somebody 
is being led by the Spirit of God today. Well, he doesn't tell us here in this passage, but elsewhere, he gives kind of a definitive list of the type of character that you should look for when you're trying to identify who is or who isn't being led by the Spirit of God, and it's called the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, Paul says in another letter, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. These are the markers of what it means to belong to God's family. And they no longer serve to distinguish God's family apart from other people groups in the way that the Torah, the old brand guide did for Israel, they serve to distinguish us apart from the rest of humanity not being led by the Spirit of God. It's incredibly clear. Basically, there are two types of people, those who are led by the Spirit of God and those who are led by anything and everything else. These are the things. Notice that he doesn't say that this brand guide is the gifts of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's what God's Spirit, living within the person who has given their lives to Jesus, cultivates over a long period of time. If you've ever tried to grow tomatoes or any kind of fruit in a garden before, you know that doesn't happen overnight. And most of us, me, just gets impatient and goes to the store and buys a tree or a bush that already has fruit on it and then plants that, right? Because <laughs> it's hard to wait. And I'm also like, you can't, I can't garden in this city. I don't know what it is. Like I've had this lemon tree in my backyard for years and I do all of the fertilizer things and I snip off all of the things and it's not growing any fruit. So I hope that's not a metaphor for my life. Um, moving on. Um, we all want to be led. So we all are being led, right? But we also all want to be led. And what the fruit of the Spirit as a metaphor for what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus and be led by the Spirit tells us is that there is no shortcut to these characteristics. There is no secret path. There is no express lane when it comes to being led by the Spirit over the long haul of our lives. And we would also not only be, rather be led in shortcut kind of ways, we would also rather be led in more obvious ways, right? We would rather be led by a giant billboard as we're driving down Sunset Boulevard telling us exactly what we're supposed to do with our lives. We would rather be led by God just kind of like striking us with lightning and the entire direction of our lives changes. We would rather have some kind of Gandalf figure like show up at our front door and say you're going on an adventure. That's how we want to be led, but God is interested in developing who we are over a lifetime by his spirit. We see the leading of God in our lives through the slow cultivation of his fruit over a lifetime, what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. Not by being told exactly what we should do and where we should go, but by becoming the kind of people whose lives are open and yielded 
to the work of God's Spirit. So if being led by the Spirit is something that happens to us, if it's something that the Spirit of God is doing in us, in the passive voice, what is it that we are supposed to do to engage with it? So Paul says that we are led by the Spirit of God. And that means that we are led into the practices of spiritual formation, otherwise known as the spiritual disciplines. The fruit of the Spirit illustrates a life that God deeply wants for us, love, joy, peace. Who would turn that down, right? We know that that is good. But what does it actually look like to be led by the Spirit? The Spirit leads us in following the example of Jesus. So how did Jesus cultivate this fruit in his life? The spiritual disciplines. Dallas Willard, again, he says, the disciplines are activities of mind and body purposefully undertaken to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. They enable us more and more to live in a power that is, strictly speaking, beyond us, deriving from the spiritual realm itself. Some people don't like the word discipline. They think it's like punitive, that it's like something that we have to like really muster up. So if you prefer the word practice, that's fine too. Um, but basically, it's ways that we bring ourselves into cooperation with what God's spirit is already doing within us. So Jesus is the son of God, so he's got that going for him, right? But he's also a human who is led by the spirit of God. Prayer, scripture, fasting, community, solitude, Sabbath, all of these things that are termed spiritual disciplines or practices are modeled in the life of Jesus. Practicing these things are essential to experience the life of spiritual formation. And if Jesus had to do them, what makes us think that we should not have to do these things? Because our lives most often are way too crowded to actually begin to obey Jesus's commandments without being properly reordered around the life of spiritual formation. Uh, John Mark Comer, who's like, preaches a lot on this kind of thing. He basically is saying um, everything that Dallas Willard said 20 years ago um, in a new way uh, for our generation. But he basically says, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Simple enough, right? So just take one of Jesus's commands, all right? Think about give to everyone who begs from you, okay? Or love your enemy. Let's just take one or choose which one you want. When you think about why it is that we have a hard time doing that stuff, is it because we disagree with Jesus? I don't. We, both, we all think that it's a good idea. We think it's a good thing to love our enemy, to give to people who are begging from us or asking us for things. The reason why we don't do it is because our lives are too cluttered to actually begin to put these commands into practice. So God is forming us, God is leading us by his spirit, but our part 
is employing these practices, making room in our lives to be led by the Spirit and cooperate with God in reordering our priorities, in reordering our affections by consciously removing the things that compete with our ability to put Jesus' commands into practice. Because Jesus doesn't so much command these practices or these disciplines so much as he models them for us. And what we're really talking about here is what's often been called the, a rule of life. So a rule of life is a way of kind of organizing these different disciplines or practices into days, weeks, months, years of activity and ways that we open ourselves up to God's work in our lives. So we structure them daily, weekly, monthly. We've talked about this before in these spiritual disciplines in different categories so that we are opening ourselves up to what God is doing in our life. And this, this word rule isn't so much talking about the rules that you obey as much as it, it's talking about, uh, in Latin, it speaks of this word trellis. So you know, like, if you've been on a vineyard before, out in wine country, a trellis is this thing that the vine with all of the grapes on it is woven around in order to allow the grapes to grow more lustrous and beautiful and fruity and good. And so if this trellis is keeping this vine organized, these spiritual disciplines or practices are the things that we organize our life around so that this fruit of the spirit is grown and cultivated in our lives. So randomly applying the spiritual disciplines, so just take like one of those things, like let's say Sabbath or let's say um, solitude or something like that. Just grabbing one of them and randomly applying them to our lives because we feel guilty or because we feel uh, some kind of sense of religiosity, that is not going to produce spiritual growth over the long term, only false fruit. So we need to actually spend time reflecting on our lives and what God is doing within our lives and our stories to create space for the Spirit to lead us. And there are basic practices that are essential for the life of every follower of Jesus, but there are also some times that God's Spirit might lead us to emphasize one particular discipline for a specific season to deal with a specific issue. So... If you're like me and you find yourself very easily swayed by the opinions of other people and your whole day can sometimes be organized around the priorities of other people and you find yourself just kind of like swept up and your to-do list gets thrown out the window because you're just going around like saying, hey, what are you doing? Can I help you with that? Your social context might need to be engaged by the spiritual disciplines. So silence and solitude is something that I had the opportunity to do just a few weeks ago and go just for like 48 hours on a retreat where I didn't have to talk to anyone or do anything. I wasn't beholden to anyone else's schedule or opinions or ideas for what my time should be. I just spent time with God. And it was one of the first times that I actually got to do that uh, just by myself, uh, not with anyone else. And it was shocking to me how much I had no idea what to do with my time. <laughs> because most of my time throughout the day usually is beholden to other people 
and to other people's ideas for what my time should be, and it's because I don't actually discipline myself in thinking about what God wants me to do with my day and actually going through my to-do list that I'm more concerned with how I can be available to help other people with their day. And by the end of the day, I get to my, I get to my to-do list and I'm like, oh, I didn't really do any of that stuff. So silence and solitude is a way that God has shown me that I need to regularly reorder my life in order to see what is important from his perspective and not from my perspective, which would be me just helping other people all of the time. If you constantly notice yourself, you know, medicating with substances or laying on the couch after a long day and just scrolling through your phone and watching Netflix or medicating with sexual experiences or food or even drugs or something like that, the body is the thing that needs to be engaged with the spiritual disciplines. So that would be fasting, right? Fasting is a way of saying no to something, not just like the specific thing that you're struggling with, but for a period of time in order to cultivate this process of saying no to the things that are forming us more than God's spirit, to allow his spirit to work in us, to say yes to the things that he wants for us. Or maybe you're overworking and finding your identity in your career, and your life is more organized around the demands of your work rather than the rhythms of the spirit of God. Maybe you need to try Sabbath, which we talked about a few months ago, and you can go back and listen to those This is how God has wired us to work. And sometimes we feel that these things, this fruit should just get cultivated in our lives more organically. And that if it was more authentic, then we shouldn't have to do anything about it. But that somehow if we have to practice that God is not really the one working in us, but God designed us. God designed us to work this way. And when we see an athlete who has disciplined themselves and trained for a marathon or some other kind of Olympic sport, and we marvel at it, and we say, wow, how did they do that? It looks so easy for them. It looks so natural for them to do that. We don't see the months and years of training and discipline and practice to get them to the place where it looks effortless. Similarly, we look at the life of Jesus and we see him living a life of joy and peace and love and it looks effortless for him, but he employed these spiritual practices for himself. So if he did it, we ought to do it as well. So that's what it means to be led by the spirit, the process of spiritual formation and employing the spiritual practices. So how is being led by the spirit connected to our identity? Because Paul says in Romans 8, 14, for all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. In families, we recognize kids as being connected to their parents by certain familial traits, features, or tendencies, or like that's so-and-so's kid because they're acting this way or they're misbehaving this way. (laughs) We know them to be belonging to a certain family or parents. And there's a story of Jesus in the Gospels going back to his hometown in Nazareth to preach. And people's response when Jesus, the hometown kid, comes and stands in the synagogue to lead his 
you know, cousins and his family and the people he grew up with in a service, people react to him based on who they knew him to be as a youth. They say, isn't that Joseph's kid? <laughs> his behavior and his character as this long-awaited Messiah was incongruent with what they knew about him up until that point. And Jesus was actually not phased by this because just before that, he had been baptized and received the Spirit of God and had been confirmed in his identity as God's son. So in Matthew chapter three, it says this. When Jesus was baptized, he went immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So here this connection between being led by the spirit of God, receiving the spirit of God, and being confirmed in his identity as a son of God, just as Paul is doing in Romans chapter eight, verse 14. What does it mean to be led by the spirit of God? It means to be a child of God. And he, Jesus was immediately led into the wilderness, fasting for 40 days, but feasting on the words that his father had spoken to him. You are my son. So when other people, when he went home to his hometown of Nazareth, said, isn't this Joseph's kid? Jesus was not phased by that. His identity was firm and fixed, knowing that by the Spirit of God, receiving his spirit, he was affirmed as God's son. And in Christ, we also have received a new identity as God's sons and daughters. Not something that has just been stapled on top of our other configurations of identities. It is a new primary identity that supersedes all of the other ways that we think about ourselves. It is also an anti-fragile identity because it is not based on what others think about us, what we think about ourselves, or on our performance. Other things that have been spoken to us or about us or over us become less important because when we know that we have become children of God, those things are put in their place. Our primary identity for those of us who have the spirit of God is that we are children of God. Everything else that we might think are important facets of our identities have to take a back seat, whether that's culture or gender or sexuality, all of those things that we might think are important to who we are, those things are not as primary as what God has spoken over us. You are my son. You are my daughter. In you I am well pleased. We who have received the spirit of God belong to God. And people who don't really know you or know you from an earlier chapter in your life, let's say you came to know Jesus within the last few years and you go home to your hometown and you interact with some of those people, they will continue to label you 
based on obsolete categories that are no longer true of who you are because, just as Paul says, you are no longer in the flesh. You are led by the Spirit. For those people who would potentially continue to label you in these ways, we can't always trust their assessments of our character. But people who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And the characteristics that should mark our lives are not the expectations or opinions of other people, but the fruit of the Spirit. For those who know you best, let's say the people within this community, within your discipleship group, brothers and sisters in your spiritual family who you have let see your life, would they say that the fruit of the Spirit characterize your life? That is what community is all about. Are there people in your life that you have actually asked to let you know whether your life is exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit or not? Have you given people permission to let you know if they detect an inconsistency within your life, if you're exhibiting off-brand behavior? Dallas Willard, once again, says, actions are not impositions on who we are, but expressions of who we are. We might think, oh, I just blew it. I'm not, you know, I messed up, this, that. He would say, okay, that's fair. Maybe in this circumstance you blew it or you messed up, but you are also the kind of person who blows it, (laughs) who messes up. Who we are is deeply formed by who we are led by who we are following. And if this shaping of who we are is a long game, happens over a long period of time, how do we know that we are being led by the Spirit of God? What is the litmus test? If we are indeed sons and daughters of God, we have received his identity, the identity of sons and daughters of God spoken over us by our heavenly Father, and we are being led by his Spirit who is cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, how do we know that we are exhibiting on or off-brand behavior, that we are being led by the Spirit? What is legitimate versus illegitimate spiritual formation? So one of the main themes of this whole chapter that Paul is trying to get into our heads and into our hearts is the theme of assurance. He wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when God says, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved child, my daughter, that he means it and that there is nothing that is going to change it. Am I a child of God? For those of us who have tried to apply the spiritual disciplines out of kind of religiosity or out of guilt or out of shame, all this produces within our lives is behavior modification. Modifying our behavior cannot change our heart and always yields hypocrisy. But some of us look at the list of the fruit of the Spirit and we question, am I? Am I a son of God? Am I a daughter of God? Is this really true of my life? And we get discouraged when we see discrepancies and a large chasm between the character of the life that God wants for us and who we see ourselves to be in the moment. 
When you look at the list of the fruit of the Spirit, you notice these inconsistencies between those markers in your own life, and you feel this deep sense of conviction because you have a sense of self-awareness, a tender heart, and you're fully aware that who Jesus is and his character is very much not who you are being and behaving and acting like. But there's an incredible encouragement that I want us to hear today, and it comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. It says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Enduring suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Should we submit even, shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of Spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on whatever seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If you're experiencing a chasm between who you know you are being called to be and who you experience yourself to be at the moment, and this deep conviction is causing you discouragement, be encouraged, friends. The peaceful fruit of righteousness that God wants to produce within your life is not coming, this discipline is not coming as evidence that you are on the wrong path, but exactly the opposite. God treating you as children, as sons and daughters, means you will experience a deep sense of incongruency every time God wants to produce fruit within your life. Self-righteousness is displayed by those who are insincere and actually not being led by the Spirit of God. When we read scripture or when we listen to a sermon and we experience a lack of conviction, it reveals a lack of legitimate spiritual growth. So a litmus test for growing in the fruit of the Spirit is when we read Scripture and we come to passages like this, do we close our Bible and pat ourselves on the back saying, yep, pretty much got that one covered, love, joy, peace, nailed it, moving on? Or do we zero in on the parts of the the Bible that actually describe problems with people around us, like I know a couple people who could use some discipline right about now? (laughs) No, friends, we cannot ignore the parts of the Bible that are speaking directly to us, and this conviction that we experience is not evidence of us being on the wrong path. It's not evidence of not being led by the Spirit, but exactly the opposite. The enemy would love to spin the genuine conviction that we experience when being led by God's Spirit into either 
condemnation, which Paul already said there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, or on the other side, complacency, when we see a deep chasm between ourselves and the life that Jesus wants for us and promised us, and we become complacent and say, I'm just never going to get there, so I'm just going to let go. Conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that reveals us to be legitimate sons and daughters of God. And if you have a hard time relating to God as father because you have issues with either your own father or the concept of God as a father, that's a lot more of what we're gonna be talking about next week. We're talking about the theme of adoption, which is how we become sons and daughters of God. So more on that later. But God wants us to know that this discipline this conviction, this sense of incongruency with our lives currently, the way that we feel and experience ourselves, and this list of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that chasm being revealed by God's Holy Spirit is evidence of God's work within your life. And there's a very important reason why Paul uses the word sons in our verse for today and not children. You might be saying, well, why didn't he just use children? Why didn't he say sons and daughters? And we're gonna get more into this next week, but referring to those who are led by the Spirit as sons is making a direct connection to Jesus as the son. See, in ancient culture, it was the firstborn son who received the inheritance from their father. It's not a gender-charged thing because Paul is going to use the gender-neutral word for children just two verses later. But this is about the status that we have received through Jesus. Because of our connection to Jesus through the Holy Spirit, we have received received the same status in the eyes of the Father as Jesus the Son, God's one and only true Son. Our status is the same as Jesus. And he, in Hebrews chapter five, the author says something very fascinating about Jesus. He says, although he, Jesus, was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. So once again, if Jesus, being the eternal son of God and a human being, being led by the Spirit of God, experienced discipline and had to learn obedience, what makes us think we should experience or expect anything different than our lives coming up against the deep chasm, the deep incongruency of who we experience ourselves to be and this fruit of the Spirit that God wants for us, this beautiful life of love and joy and peace that he's called us to. It's an incredibly fascinating and important perspective for us. For Jesus, our model for spiritual formation, experienced discipline as the Son. And not only that, he humbled himself to the lowest point of death on a cross and was willing to go to that length for you and for me so that we could experience this leading of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of God's presence, and be wrapped up into God's family, God's willingness to send his son, and Jesus' willingness to experience this level of discipline and humiliation 
even though he is the, the eternal son of God, shows the deep lengths that he went for us to be able to experience this life of joy and peace and love. So how does all of this happen? Lastly, Paul says, for all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. This process of spiritual formation and employing the spiritual practices must happen in community. God certainly does lead us to these things individually and knows each of us intimately. And he is definitely not leading us to employ the spiritual practices all in the same way at the same time. But more often than we realize, we are actually being led by the Spirit communally. By being a part of this church, you are entrusting yourselves to how God is leading this community corporately, collectively, by his Spirit. Aligning with a spiritual community is a lot more than figuring out where you like to go and what people you like to associate with. Because the dynamics of the spiritual life in the spiritual realm are organized to recognize the local church as the primary place of how and where God leads people by his spirit. What God is doing in our church affects all those who call themselves a part of collective church. So do you ever even notice coincidences in your life that happen that are connected to the specific passage or series that we're going through? That God is just kind of bringing these things up. These are not coincidences. These are ways that God is affirming that he is leading you by his spirit. A friend of mine calls these God winks. <laughs> Conversely, when there is sin and immaturity within this community, it doesn't just affect one person, the person sitting next to you. It affects all of us. And we instinctively know this at a leadership level. We know when there's an unhealthy leader of a community, it's going to impede the health of the entire church. But this is also true for everyone within the community. Because the fruit of the Spirit that God wants to cultivate in your life is not just for you. <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit that God cultivates in our lives is to be picked and enjoyed by those around us. It's not meant to sit on the vine. God wants to cultivate this fruit in our lives so that the fruit of the Spirit that blooms on our lives over a long period of time, this long obedience in the same direction, will not just be evidenced by you being on brand, by you displaying the characteristics of the life of the Spirit, but it actually boils over and bubbles over for your community to enjoy these things as well. Let's pray.